If you are in Sydney or Melbourne, listen up because we have some exciting news for you. Listen. Yeah, listen. Saturday, July. (laughs) Melbourne, we are doing Do Go On The Quiz Show live one night only or one afternoon only. Part of the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic on Saturday, July 6th at 3pm. This is 2024. And then the next weekend in Sydney, we are going up for a live Do Go On podcast at the fabulous Ritz Cinema on Saturday, July 13th at 3pm. Also 2024. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. Listen. 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 And get tickets. Buy tickets. Tickets at dogoonpod.com. Come. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky and I'm sitting here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. Yeah, Jess Perkins first. Oh, must be back around on the other side of the rotation. <laughs> exactly. I've done the maths, carried the millions of ones, and, which is one million, and we are back around. It's going to be even from now on. Well, I think technically that would be million of ones, so... Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be Jess first from forever now <laughs> for, that, for that correction. Please, I hope someone got fired for that blunder. <laughs> um, great to be here on this, the day where well, we're recording a couple of days in advance, but when this comes out in Australia, at least, if you're listening hot off the presses, it is Christmas Day. Christmas oh, Day. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, as we like to say. There's and, a Christmas tree in our studio now. It's lovely. And Is that a permanent addition, Matt? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> That'll be here year-round. But we'll take the Christmas decorations off it and it will just be decorated for different times. It's, oh, just, yeah. the, it's just the podcast studio tree now. Wow, we just have an New indoor Year's garden. Tree. Yeah. Uh, then it'll be the, uh, what is it, the Boxing Day sales yeah, tree. Yeah, Australia Day tree. Yeah, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. Tree of life. Tree yeah. of life. Tree day tree. There's probably a tree day. I had definitely had that in a share house. Um, the Christmas tree was up until at least March. Great. Really? No, probably longer actually, yeah. So some... But we took the decorations off, so it was just an indoor tree. But you would excited, excitedly put it up together and then you're like, well, I'm not going to take I'm it down. I'm taking it down. Putting up it is the fun part. Yeah, taking down is sad. Putting like up so it is many things. the fun part. Thank you, yeah. I just, sorry, a little Shakespearean there. <laughs> I love to put it up it. <laughs> put up it. <laughs> Most people listening probably will, uh, they, they probably have just done Christmas and are listening later so to you i say happy boxing day sales happy new year's eve happy new year's day mm-hmm. and happy 
2020. <laughs> and happy tree day. Happy, happy tree, tree day. day. Whenever that is. Jeez, it comes around yeah, so well, quickly, doesn't it? My goodness, I can't believe it. That's it's a big day in Lebanon. Oh, yeah. Tree day. Yeah, they love the tree. They put they it on the flag. Put it on the bloody flag. <laughs> they love it so much. <laughs> was that a flag joke? Was that intended as a flag joke? Yeah, yeah, it was, but um, what a happy coincidence it would have been otherwise. <laughs> so don't worry, I was with you there. I was with you. I knew you did on purpose. I'm just impressed because I, I don't know flags. You don't know your Lebanese flags I from your buddy. Other, other flags. Okay. <laughs> Name any country. Name one other country. <laughs> one other country, man. Iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you say name a lettuce? <laughs> <laughs> Iceberg? All right, he's done it again. <laughs> Well, it is great to be back. This is our first proper studio episode for a little while. Yeah. Is it the first since we've been back from the UK yeah. and Ireland? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Now, the first one we've recorded back in Australia. We've been back, been back for a bit over a week now. We should also say first one since we're back from UK, Ireland and Scotland, just in case uh, people are listening in the future after the vote. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good right. point. They are gearing up for that <laughs> at the time of recording. Okay, so we've been back for just over a, just over a week? Just over just one week. Just over a week. Yeah, how are we feeling? How, yeah, how's the jet lag? Are you done? Are you sorted? Are you fixed? I think I'm, re- I'm really good because... I went pretty much straight to a music festival. <laughs> yeah. Had a had a sleep, about five hours sleep, then went to a music festival. My favourite, Meredith. Mm. It's the happiest time of year. Like a, a it's camping. like my Christmas. And it's yeah. a camping festival. Too. It is a camping festival. So you're there roughing in a tent for a couple of nights. Okay, a couple of mistakes I made. No cap for the lilo. Okay. So was it just a piece of plastic so I, on the I ground? I ended up sleeping on the ground. Yeah, flat plastic on the ground. Um, Lilo's, is that universal? It's a blow up mattress. Airbed. Airbed. And then... <laughs> What else did I... I forgot that and one other... Oh, no, the other one didn't matter. I brought a pump that was uh, plugged into the wall. So, I mean, it... <laughs> were you looking around... I didn't at, have a wall. Were you looking around, <laughs> looking around the field for a wall? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, where's the wall? I didn't so have I real, a wall. <laughs> I realised that first mm. and I'm like, great, can't blow it up. And then realise, oh, even if I could, I couldn't keep the air in... So you slept on the, anyway. floor, on the ground. Slept on the, yeah, on oh. the floor. That's what they call the <laughs> paddock. The outside ground. Cow floor. <laughs> so were your sleep's terrible, let's be honest? Uh, no, I slept okay. because I. But I think it got, because I was so stimulated during the day with music and everything, it got me through the day and I was getting asleep, you know, around midnight. And I, I got home back on the, on the sleep cycle. Nice. Yeah, so it actually worked out pretty well. So that's me. your tip for people is to come back, go to a music festival, sleep on the ground. Yes. And then you'll be right. Exactly. Because okay. I did not do that, and I struggled for the first few. You days. probably did. You have air in your bed. Yeah. Yeah, Can that's a big it? no-no. Too much air. It's like Kramer when he gave uh, Elaine a massage, and then she slept on a bed. And she's like, "My back, it's killing me." And Kramer's like, "Well, did you sleep on a plank of wood?" <laughs> said, no, you didn't say that. Well, obviously, <laughs> your back's going to hurt now. We were on the away for two weeks, and in that time. I I was no longer used to my bed. I had to get used to my bed all over again. Wait, didn't you get a brand new yeah, bed? Yeah, a fairly new bed. Yeah, so I'm still maybe I was still getting used to it. Okay, but I was like, oh, this is I don't like it. Oh, you got a for some reason. I thought you came home to a brand new bed, no. and you would you just lost your mind. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so weird. My bed feels really different. <laughs> anyway, but I was waking up at five a.m. for a few days, but now I'm normal. You normal. Are. Well, yeah. as normal as she can be. Normal just for, normal. Yeah, for yeah, you. I'm normal. just normal. So a bit kooky. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's very nice to be back in the studio um, now with Christmas tree. And um, I thought I'd do a report. What do you reckon? I'd, I'd love to so hear good. it. Um, Shall we explain first how the show works? I could do that really quickly. Great, like. go for it. 
between the three of us, our three obvious friends and comedians, we each take it in turns. Fuck, I've already said too many words. <laughs> to pick a topic, usually suggested by a listener, we research that topic and then tell it to the other two people who don't know what the topic is. Yep. And we normally get onto that topic with a question. Then the other two people are a bit annoying, especially to people who are listening just to hear the story. Yeah. Well, that's me and Matt this week. <laughs> Very Hooray. annoying. Well, um, because this would be my final uh, report that I'd be writing for the year, I put it to the Patreons uh, with a bunch of uh, second chances. So topics that had been voted on previously but hadn't won the vote. Um, and they, it was still a pretty tight race, but they have. <laughs> they all came second again. I was like, God damn it. Um, so my, my question for you is, which World War II mission was an unofficial influence for the 1989 film Weekend at Bernie's? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, let's uh, go back to the top. <laughs> World War II mission. Okay. Weekend at Bernie's. Right. So some, something about a dead... you got to pretend someone's still alive? Yeah. Wait, how long did the war go on for after Hitler killed himself? <laughs> was there some sort of a weekend at Hitler's thing? He's been at Egypt, he was alive for four years. <laughs> <laughs> the Nazis are like, we can still hold on to this. Yeah, that's right. It's important we have our leader. I wrote this question ten minutes ago while you guys were chatting. Did you not see me chuckling to myself for a bit? Yeah, yeah but, but that's, that's very normal. normal. <laughs> 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 That's true, actually. Uh, what about too much more? They had to pretend someone was still alive. I Operation mean, Dumbo so, Drop. Not Operation Dumbo Drop. Weekend at Bernie's. Operation Weekend at Sadly, Bernie's. no. Operation Floppy Joe. Uh, it's a maybe some sort of uh, meat product. Okay. Something you might do to beef pork. I'd pork it all night long. You can have di- you can have diced beef. You can have uh, grilled, nah, can, sliced, nah. Uh, rump. <laughs> when they like barbecued, make it all little tiny little bits. Minced, yes. minced meat, minced Operation meat, minced meat. I've heard of this. I reckon. So have I. What is it? I'll tell you. Oh, so there's some sort of a mince meat man they're carrying around <laughs> with a Hawaiian shirt on. This I haven't seen Weekend at Bernie's to be honest, but. I've never seen that film. Me either. <laughs> wow, here we go. What a current references to that film coming at you. And look, I don't think it was any influence at all, but it, I just found that pretty funny. Oh, so, that is funny. That is funny stuff. That's funny stuff. So this um, Operation Mincemeat has been suggested by a bunch of people. Um, uh, Jess, Cameron Warns, Riz Azaf, Tom McKenna, Meg Hartz, Lynn, and Victor Guillermo de Manuel. Oh, some fantastic names. Wow, yeah. great you really ordered that with a big one. Finish. One pretty ordinary one, but I'll, and I won't m- mention Jess, which. you're saying Jess was the one. Oh, I, I, well, I was just making a joke, but you're right. <laughs> Jess is pretty. Jess is pretty ordinary. Pretty um, ordinary the name's pretty crap too. <laughs> no, good on got, you. got them all. Got them all. Got all those Jesses. <laughs> got that Jesses. <laughs> so this is from history.com. It says, in April 1943, a decomposing corpse was discovered floating off the coast of Hoover. Fuck, should have looked that up. <laughs> That's so... You're, you're what, four words I in know. the report? Hoover. I have looked oh, up... Oh, fuck. I've looked up pronunciations for so many words in this report and didn't do that one. Give me a look at the word. I it's mean, in southern I, Spain. You speak Spanish, Dave. Welva. Welva ah, it is. Welva. Welva in southern Spain. Volva. <laughs> Sorry, yes, silent V. 
Personal documents identified him as Major William Martin of Britain's Royal Marines, and he had a black attaché case chained to his wrist. <laughs> Did you look up attaché? Yeah, it's just a briefcase. <laughs> but I left it in there. Attaché. That's a fun word. It's, it's fun. That's very James Bond and attaché oh. case. Yes. Uh, and there's a bit more James Bond stuff in this report too. Oh, exploding pen. When Nazi intelligence learned of the downed officer's briefcase, as well as concerted efforts made by the British to retrieve it, they did all they could to gain access. Though Spain was officially neutral in the conflict, much of its military was pro-German and the Nazis were able to find an officer in Madrid to help them. In addition to other personal effects and official-looking documents, they found a letter from military authorities in London to a senior British officer in Tunisia indicating that Allied armies were preparing to cross the Mediterranean from their positions in North Africa and attack German-held G- Greece and Sardinia. You, you bet really to do a hard G. <laughs> I was going to do a soft not a hard, G. Not a hard G, but a soft R. <laughs> Geese. <laughs> This intelligence coup from the Nazi spy network allowed Adolf Hitler to transfer German troops from France to Greece ahead of what is believed to be a massive enemy invasion. The only problem? It was all a hoax. (laughs) So look, a long intro there from history.com, but still... Sets the scene beautifully. Sets the scene. So three and a half years earlier, in September of 1939, the Second World War had just begun and Director of Naval Intelligence, Rear Admiral John Godfrey... (laughs) I mean... (laughs) You love it. You love it. So, it is so funny. <laughs> it is so funny. It's like the highest rank, and then it's the funniest. It's also thing. the highest form of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> rear the word Admiral. Rear, rear Admiral. Admiral. <laughs> oh, they say it on The Simpsons the dreaded Rear Admiral. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Some mean? sort of wedgie type thing. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, John Godfrey circulated a memo to the British officers. It was called the Trout Memo. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Trout's it, a great word. <laughs> Who took the trout from the fridge? <laughs> That was my trout. I was saving it for my sandwiches. I think it was more likely. Trout Could sandwiches. someone stop cooking trout <laughs> yeah. in the microwave in the office? Oh. You're stinking up the whole place. It's so gross. I've heard that from a few different people. There's just their whole office is quietly annoyed by one guy who yeah. microwaves trout in the. Trout? It, not trout, but Tuna? fish. Yeah. I'm thinking of it like from two or three different offices, <laughs> and everyone's just quietly going. Mate, I wish you'd just figure it out yourself. I'm not going to tell you, but that's stinking out the place. Oh, yeah, the Dave, office I work at, there's a, there's a fish guy. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you about that later. I am not the fish. Absolutely not. I don't think you should bring fish into a workplace whatsoever unless it is from the fish and chip shop. That's four. So you've, which office at the project? Yeah. <laughs> name names. No, I will not. It hasn't happened in a while, I reckon. So maybe someone did say, hey, please stop marking Oh, he fish. read the trap memo. Yeah, the trap memo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sadly, this trout memo was not about uh, trout in the microwave, but it did compare the deception of an enemy in wartime to fly fishing. (laughs) It reads, The trout fisher casts patiently all day. He frequently changes his venue and his lures. If he's frightened of fish, he may give the water a rest for half an hour. But his main endeavour is incessant. (laughs) The memo goes on to describe numerous ways that the enemy, like trout, may be fooled or lured in. Oh, my God. This is the kind of thing where you're like, just get to the orders. You're scanning through yeah. it going, oh my God, he's still it's talking all these, it's about It's all these fish. metaphors. You're like, what so, do you mean? We don't care that that's your hobby, Rear Admiral. Like, we don't yeah. need to know that. 
So it sounds like his mind's elsewhere, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm fair, running the, this war from a from a river somewhere. Yeah. The war had just started. Maybe he didn't realise quite how big it was going to yeah. be. You know? At that point, they <laughs> were still calling it a good year. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we could save this year. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Um, historian Ben McIntyre suggested that although the memo was published under Godfrey's name, it bore all the hallmarks of Godfrey's personal assistant, Lieutenant Commander Ian Fleming. <laughs> Who was famously a fly fisher. <laughs> And Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming was the Ian his... Fleming. What? The Ian Fleming. Yes. The... As in Christopher Lee's yes As adopted in cousin, the old captain of the New Zealand cricket team. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> Think of Stephen Fleming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian Fleming is in James Bond. Ian Fleming. Yes. Fantastic. Who we did an episode on. Yes. That's I right. And we mentioned last, you... last week because he was Christopher Lee's adopted cousin. Yes. That's right. He comes up a bit. He comes up a bit. That's crazy. So he's the assistant to the dreaded rear admiral. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this, this trout memo sort of uh, feels a lot like his writing. It feels that if this was out today and it got leaked, it would go viral. It, people would yeah. be mocking it. It'd be talked about on your show, Dave, for sure, I reckon. Big time. I reckon Peter Heller would make a funny out of it, <laughs> which I think is really a big part of what you do. That's entirely what he does. Making the news cycle funny. Yeah, you get it. You get my job. <laughs> <laughs> I really should ask you what you do someday. <laughs> so good that you have no idea. Still, all these years later. The Friday funnies. I know you work all week to do that one Friday funny. Yep. You and Peter Hellier do something Fr- together. Friday funnies, Monday to Friday, except Pete doesn't work on a Friday. So it doesn't really anyway. It's a complicated gig, but yeah. I can't wait for you to explain ah, it to TV. me. TV. Maybe in a memo. Yeah, yeah trap. <laughs> Can you send Matt a memo? <laughs> So um, the memo contained a number of suggested schemes uh, for their consideration for use against the Axis powers to lure U-boats and German surface ships towards minefields. Number 28 on the list was titled, A Suggestion, in brackets, not a very nice one. (laughs) (laughs) It was an idea to plant misleading papers on a corpse that would be found by the enemy. This wasn't a totally new idea. Deliberate planting of fake documents uh, to be found by the enemy has been done before. In fact, it already had a name. It's called <laughs> the Haversack Ruse. Oh, yes. It had been used by the British and others uh, in the First and Second World Wars. Well, I mean, it, the Second World's only just started, but it'd be, it's used. Later. I reckon we've talked about it in previous reports. Others have used that tactic. Yeah. I think it's, it's real smart because even, even if they are sus on it, They've still got to think about it, right? You're wasting yeah. their time one way or the other. For sure. And maybe they go, we need to at least follow this up a little bit. Yeah. and Because so, it could be a double bluff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. So they've, they've definitely used that a lot. Um, in August of 1942, a corpse was placed in a blown-up scout car in a minefield facing the German 90th Light Division. And on the corpse was a map reportedly showing the locations of British minefields uh, and the Germans used the map and their tanks were routed to an area of soft sand where they got bogged. Holy uh, shit, that's smart. Yeah. But there were no mines. Uh, so they avoided the mines. <laughs> yes. yes. Right? Yep. I mean, you got a positive spin. You need that. Do in a, they? In a, war, in a war. Okay. Guys, we lost every tank, but none of them were exploded. So... I wonder if they could have done it so that they put the mines in... Invert inverted places, so you're avoiding them, but you're just driving straight <laughs> into them. I thought you were going to say that that's exactly what happened, but then sand—it's ingenious. They just got bogged. 
Even so better. Stuck. Victimless crime. Yeah, that's an annoying, you know, about six hours of digging a tank out. Yeah, it's really annoying. Why you laugh at them? Ha, 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 ha. And they're uh, like, we still have guns, idiot. We someone, can still shoot from the tank. You get, you get your mate with a Land Cruiser. Yeah. Him, he'll pull you out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't worry about it. i got to show you a video of my brother four-wheel driving recently and his car, like, completely vertical. It oh. was I, – I, I watched it and thought, wow – my brother and I have different lives. <laughs> I, I've got, That's fun for him. Schoolmates, I've got to do that like regularly, and I'll, I'll often post videos on Facebook. And I'm always like, "This kind of looks amazing, but also it just looks tedious." Yeah, you're being you're basically being bogged for fun. Yeah. Remember when I parked that van well in the UK? Uh, and we I was celebrated. About to, I was we about hugged. to say. <laughs> You, I don't think you and your brother lead different lives at all. Now I've seen you park that van. Yeah, but I told him about it, and he went, "Yeah, cool." So, but he didn't see how tight it was. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was honestly <laughs> most impressive thing I've ever seen. That van was bigger than any Land Cruiser as well. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and I did have a vertical at one point, but that was unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> that was an accident. Do you see your brother's tiny car? <laughs> Whatever, mate. We could all do that in a car that small. Yeah, your zippy little number. Yeah. Come on, get a real car. That's what a is remote that, a control car. <laughs> what is that? How many seats has it got? Five? <laughs> How about nine? <laughs> Almost double, but not yeah, quite. Yeah, for three people. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we had too much room. Yeah, too the year much. before, not enough. Yeah. This time, too much. Next year, just right. We overcompensated for sure. <laughs> anyway. Um, so unrelated, another time in September of 1942, an aircraft flying from Britain to Gibraltar crashed, um, killing all on board, including Paymaster Lieutenant James Haddon Turner, who was a courier carrying top secret documents. In amongst his documents, which were genuine, by the way, this wasn't a setup, uh, was a letter from the American deputy commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force. <laughs> There's lots of big words to the British governor and Commander-in-Chief in Gibraltar, telling him that General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Supreme Commander, would be arriving on the 3rd of November. So Turner's body washed up on the beach and was recovered by the Spanish authorities. And uh, the Spanish, because, again, they were neutral, they returned the body to the British. And the letter was still on the body, and uh, technicians determined that the letter hadn't been opened. So it was a really close call for the British. Right. If they'd opened the letter, then they, they would have known that the the big boss was coming on a certain date and they, they could have attacked. So that those were unrelated, but it sort of led for a little bit of inspiration because a month after this plane crash, a British intelligence officer called Charles Chomley came up with his own version of the Trout Memo, but he gave it a code name, Trojan Horse. <laughs> right. Trout fishing is a lot like a Trojan horse. <laughs> Also, Chomley spelt C H O L M O N D E L E Y. Oh, Chomley. Chomley. And that's not Chomley. I had to look it up. It's Chomley. That's is, who? Where's he from? It sounds like a very English thing to do. Yeah, he's, it's like he's Leicester is really Leicester or something. Yeah. Yes. Worcestershire is Worcestershire. Yeah. Mm. They, t- they chop out syllables willy-nilly over there. Yeah. And they laugh at you. It's almost like they've set up a little bit of sand for you <laughs> to get right. bogged in. And then they laugh at yeah. you. Where Operation start... Mincemeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just a word of the wise out there. Never say debut in England. Fucking hell. People will laugh at you until they start punching you in the face. <laughs> debut as opposed to debut. Yes, they're very similar sounding words. I can't hear the difference. <laughs> I was semi-joking when I brought up, did you just laugh at him saying debut? Because I couldn't work out why they were laughing. And then they were like, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, I was kidding. <laughs> they were not. Yeah. Um, 
So Charles Chomley, he came up with Trojan Horse. And this is what he wrote. He said, A body is obtained from one of the London hospitals. The lungs are filled with water and documents are disposed in an inside pocket. The body is then dropped by a coastal command aircraft. On being found, the supposition in the enemy's mind may well be that one of our aircrafts has either been shot or forced down and that this is one of their passengers. Hmm. So a little bit about Chomley. He was a flight lieutenant in uh, the Royal Air Force and was working with MI5. He was the secretary of the uh, 20 Committee, an intelligence team in charge of double agents. And they'd originally turned down this idea as uh, they said it had potential, but it was unworkable. But the chairman of the committee, a guy called John Masterman. Oh, yes. How's that spelled? Masterman Shiro? Masterman. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's a masterman shear, but <laughs> I looked it up silent and shear. So the shear is silent. <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> he saw that there was a connection to the Navy in this idea um, and so he assigned Ewan Montague as the naval representative to work with Chomley on this plan. Montague had a pretty unique and cool set of skills as well. Um, in peacetime, he was a lawyer in King's Council and during the war had been working under Godfrey, so Ian Fleming's boss, running a subdivision naval intelligence which handled counter-espionage. So now we've got two very intelligent men working together. And they had some help, of course. They were assisted by an MI6 representative, um, Major Frank Foley. Does that name ring a bell at all? Frank Foley. So he was sort of uh, helping them uh, examine the practicalities of the plan. So Frank Foley, um, just as a side note, he worked as a passport control officer in Berlin, which was a cover for his main duties as the head of the British Secret Intelligence Service, so MI6. Wow. He w- so he's the head. And he's working in- undercover as a passport control officer. He used his role as passport control to bend the rules and helped thousands of Jewish families escape Nazi Germany. Wow. Some say tens of thousands. Wow. He's remembered as a British Schindler and has been recognised as British hero of the Holocaust and as a Righteous Among the Nations, which is a a big award from non-Jews who helped Jewish people. That sounds like (laughs) a report in itself ready to go. Holy shit. He sounds... Insane. Yeah, that's well. That's obviously um, amazing. But I am also still su- surprised that the head of the intelligence would not be, you know, yeah, yeah. in maybe, England, like you know, working behind a desk type thing. Maybe timeline wise, I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe it earlier. Pr- or I don't know. Yeah. yeah, but still, like, wow. Yeah. What a, what a guy. Huge. I'd promote him. I'd yeah, promote I reckon him all the way too. To the top. Thousands and thousands and, of people. And sorry, what, and what is it? He's part of this mission. Yeah, he's sort of um, overseeing it and helping them just with the practicalities of the plan. Um. So they've got this guy helping them uh, with the logistics and they enlisted the help of a pathologist to find out what kind of body they needed and what factors they'd need to take into account to fool a Spanish pathologist when the body was recovered. Uh, I've got to translate it. What are pathologists? <laughs> they're blood, are they blood people? Or yeah. they just take your blood? The pathology's blood, blood but um, uh, I don't know now, but back then they were, would have been the ones doing autopsies and stuff right. like that too. So they got Sir Bernard Spilsbury, who's a very famous <laughs> <laughs> Spilsbury. This yeah, has that's been that's full of great names. The names beautiful. are incredible. I'm still like normally Chomsbury would be the best of the best, but Spilsbury. Spilsbury. These names still exist. I just don't feel like you come across them as much. Spilsbury. No. They all sound so English to me. Yeah. Which, like, I mean, England is a very diverse place, but you know that sort of old school idea yeah. of someone wearing tweed and stuff. Hello, I'm Bernard Spilsbury. Spilsbury, yep. (laughs) 
Um, he was a very famous pathologist and worked on a number of famous murder cases in England. Um, so they consulted him for a bit of help and he told them that they didn't need to worry about filling the lungs with water because most people who die in air crash often die from shock, not drowning. So don't have to worry about filling their you lungs can, with water. Really? You die more on the impact of the crash rather right. than... Because oh, I suppose I to... you meant shock, like, oh, no! <laughs> <gasps> I'm shocked. I suppose you probably could and your heart stops. Right. A big enough shock, not like a boo, you know? Yeah. Boo, you're falling from a plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I was having a sleep. <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, so, yeah, he said... But know. my hiccups are cured. <laughs> <laughs> he also added an interesting point. He said Spaniards, as Roman Catholics, were averse to post-mortems and did not hold them unless the cause of death was of great importance. So they probably won't check that thoroughly, basically. Oh. So if you just find a, a, an English soldier's body, they're not going to be too sus if you cover your bases in other ways. So he's right. like, don't worry too much about it. Wild. Um, so now they're feeling pretty confident because it's probably going to work better than they'd originally thought. But finding a body to use was going to be difficult. Yeah, right? having someone put their hand up for something like this would be tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, I'll like, do it. Fill guy, my lungs. Well, that guy's so confident that no, they won't bother checking. He's like, don't even use a body. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll mince just, meat. Yeah, I'll just, just like, a, Go get a couple of pounds <laughs> yeah. of mince meat. And a coconut for a head. They won't check. Honestly, these guys are lazy. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's hot there. They yeah, don't, it goes hot. to their head. Um, so they need a body. So they spoke to the coroner for the Northern District of London, a guy called Bentley Purchase. <laughs> <laughs> That's That sounds like a drag name. Well, that sounds like something that um, Shrewsbury would do on a, on, a, <laughs> on a weekend. One Bentley Purchase, please. <laughs> so good. Bentley Purchase. <laughs> so who's Bentley? I've He's a got... coroner. Oh, my God. He's a coroner for Northern District of London. And he said, I should think bodies are the only commodities not in short supply at the moment, but even with bodies all over the place, each one has to be accounted for. So he said he'd look out for a suitable body, someone that didn't have family members claiming them. A couple of months later, in January of 1943, Purchase contacted them to say he'd found a corpse that would work for their plan. Uh, His name was, and it's a Welsh name, and I had to look it up, Glyn, Glyndor. Oh. Glyndor Michael is a Welsh man who'd been living on the streets Glyndor, in London. I like that. But it's G-L-Y-N-D-W-R. Cool. Glyndor. Glyndor. That's, I've never heard. That's a great name. Glyndor. Um, Glyndor Michael. So, yeah, he'd been living. Michael a bit bland, to be honest. A little, but as a Started surname. Started so strong. As a surname, bit of fun. <laughs> that's true. You know, George Michael. That's fun. You'd normally say, oh, this guy's <laughs> got two first names, but. I'm, you know, Glindor, I, I can't we, say for we sure. We don't know. So maybe, would you prefer if his name was Michael Glindor? Oh, now he sounds like a superhero. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's very good. Um, he'd been living on the streets in London and he'd, he'd died after eating rat poison. Oh, I've told people so many times, don't do it. Not worth the risk. Stop but it tastes eating so it. good. I know it tastes good, but it is not worth the risk. It's not. Some people, most rats and some people will die after doing that. Yeah, so... He learnt the hard Especially way. if you're in some sort of, if Poirot's in the neighbourhood. Oh, for or sure. Or Mrs. Marple. Just don't invite them round. Or the woman from, who murder she wrote? Angela Lansbury. Angela, obviously Angela around. <laughs> Certainly do not eat any food with rat poison in, especially if your husband is out to get you. <laughs> you should know if someone's out to get you. You yeah. should get a vibe, I reckon. Yeah. If you think your husband's out to get you, he is. You yeah. know? 
I think that's probably true. Yeah. If you get that vibe, that yeah. sense. I'm probably being silly. <laughs> anyway, he's offered to cook me dinner for the first time ever. <laughs> and I've just come into a lot of money. <laughs> oh, my life's really turning around. And Poirot's staying in the, in the B&B next door. What are the chances? I was about to leave oh, my, my husband. <laughs> and he would have got nothing. But now... <laughs> now he gets in around. He's giving me a goodbye meal. He's taking it really well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they uh, Glindor had, had, had died from eating rat poison. Purchase said that this small amount of rat poison in the body system wouldn't be a problem as it wouldn't be identified in a body that was supposed to have been floating in the sea for several days. They wouldn't even be looking for it. Um, one problem Montague had was that Michael was very thin and sickly, obviously, from living on the street and of not having access to food. And having Holy a- shit, he ate rat poison because he was hungry. I didn't really think about why he might have done it. I thought someone had killed him, like his wife or husband. No, he was living, he was living on the street. And rat poison's just out there. It's one so, of the only... I read somewhere that it was like a, like a paste that they'd put on bread. Oh. So... Well, that feels it, like. But, uh, yeah, so it was an accident. Others said he, he probably took his own life. Hard to know. But right. the, the actual cause of death was a right poison. They actually yeah. they've rebranded it. Now it's called Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the balls uh, to say that when we're in the UK, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I panda. I panda when I'm over. No, I would have said it. I would have said it to their faces. <laughs> I reckon they normally have a, some pretty good comebacks over there. Yeah, they sure do. Got to check in and ask. So when we left the UK, you had the marmite oh. taken off of you. Yeah. And they, but so through security, you can't take uh, liquids. You can't take gels. Apparently, you can't take paste either. Yeah. Well, it's, that's how liquidy it is. Yeah. Marmite. And he, but Not he, like a beautiful, thick, proper spread like Vegemite. But the security guy pack, packaged it up and said, "We can mail it to you if you pay for yes. the postage." You and he gave it? me a he gave me a, a tag, and I had completely forgotten about it <laughs> until you mentioned it. Then I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, I can look it up online, put in the code, mm. and it'll say how much it'll cost. And if it's, he said it might be about ten pounds, which feels probably about right for two jars of. <laughs> I have no idea. Including, you know, mailing from across the world. I'm sure you can get Marmite here. I've yeah, seen but, it But in the shops. Marmite you can get at shops is normally the New Zealand one. Right, okay. Which is in a different, it's a very different jar. But and, you, and, it, can you get the peanut, because I got peanut butter Marmite. Mm. But also the one time you had the option to have Marmite, you oh. spread it and went, oh, yuck, it, and you didn't even eat it. The consistency looks so bad. I don't think you should pay that money. Well, I, I also did that. Knowing I had a jar of it, I'm like, I'll do this under, but like, I've, it just made me feel queasy looking at right. it because it was it was kind of runny. It took me by surprise. Now that I know that, it's almost like a honey consistency. Yeah, not really. That's stickier. Anyway, yeah, it didn't look good. It didn't look good. But you'll never know now. No, but I think I mean I still am confident it's worse than Vegemite. But I reckon it probably tastes something like Vegemite at the same time. Do you think it's better That's or what, worse than rat poison? I reckon a little better. But I think it's one of the – I find it fun to have, like, draw a line between things that are so close. I love Vegemite, but there's Marmite. <laughs> I wouldn't throw it at my mum if she was <laughs> on fire and and only Marmite would put it out. You know, I wouldn't. God, you don't even care about your mum. Yeah, that's how much I hate Marmite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it makes me not care about my mum. Marmite burn, burn. Marmite burn. 
Ma, ma being another word for mum. Got it. Ma might burn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you said got it, and then I think then yeah, you I got it. I didn't get it at all. <laughs> got it. Oh. <laughs> if I say got it, we can move on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get back into the half of the sentence yeah, the, I was up to. Rat poison. Rat poison. So, but so Montague uh, had he had an issue with the body because it was very thin oh, yeah, and too sickly. Thin. He didn't think it would pass for a fit, healthy soldier, and it would raise suspicions when the body was found. So they just draw abs on him. <laughs> yeah. Get the bick out. <laughs> this will sort it out. <laughs> It's all about contouring. Yeah. <laughs> um, Percher said he doesn't have to look like an officer, only a staff officer. It's like a little desk jockey. Uh, They're not ripped. Don't worry about it. Um, so Purchase agreed to keep the body in a freezer at 4 degrees Celsius or 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Keep it crisp. Um, <laughs> any cold in the flesh would freeze um, and then it would be obvious, which would be obvious after the body had defrosted. Yeah. It's like bread. You can freeze it once. Yeah. You can't defrost and refreeze. What happens if you refreeze? Never tried. If it just... It, like it changes on a molecular scale. It just is a different thing all of a sudden. Yeah, all of a sudden it's a, in a shoe. Bag. It's yeah. a shoe now. <laughs> Put it on your feet, fine. But don't try to don't eat it. Don't try to eat it. Is that how shoes are made? Yes. Wow. They're bread frozen, defrosted, frozen, shoes. Even Vegemite couldn't make it better. <laughs> couldn't make it edible. And different types of shoes are different types of bread. Name, yeah. name a shoe. Uh, Croc. That's a cob loaf. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea boot. <laughs> That's a multi-seed Sienna, uh, no, not Sienna, Vienna loaf. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's a delicious shoe. It's delicious. What about a thong or a flip-flop? Ah, that's your classic tip-top. Oh, oh. Tip, tip-top flip-flop. Tip-top what? Yeah, tip-top yeah. flip-flop. Et cetera, et cetera. And so on goes the list anyway. So he... <laughs> Let's do seven more. <laughs> <laughs> he told... Um, so he's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll freeze the body. But he told Montague and Chomley that the body had to be used within three months or it would have, it would have decomposed <laughs> or too badly. Or it loses warranty. You spoke on the body. Well, I ever told you that I used to work at a supermarket. Oh, God, where's this going? And I... We're talking about frozen bodies. Frozen bodies. Oh, okay. No, well, it, but the, in the bakery, I noticed just from putting out bread one time, um, in fine print on a lot of the baked goods there, it says, or it used to say, thawed for your convenience. <laughs> <laughs> what a, that's the, maybe the, my favourite ever spin. <laughs> We've done your favour. Legally, we have to tell you that this was frozen. <laughs> But but how do we how do we sell this? Because how annoying is it thawing bread? <laughs> oh, you know, oh, oh it takes but, forever. But don't freeze it, or it will turn into a shit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it has been frozen before. <laughs> anyway, so they, they've got three months, so they had to get to work fast. And this might be one of the best sentences I read. Montague selected the code name mincemeat from a list of centrally held available possibilities. <laughs> they had a list you could pick from. And mincemeat was on it. Man, I hope that's, that was someone's job just to write down possibilities. Yeah. And he's just going through the Rolodex. Oh, mincemeat, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. He's, he's like looking around the room, happened to have the grocery list there. Yeah. Uh, he's like, all right, all right, all right. Aircon. <laughs> they definitely had that then. Um, yeah. Weird switch. Um, what is that for, that little switch over Don't there? Don't touch it. <laughs> uh, Christmas tree. Uh, mincemeat. Uh, ex-wife. <laughs> my, what are you doing here, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> you want me back? <laughs> but some, I reckon, although I still don't know fully what this operation is, I reckon part of why people love it and it seems to still be a popular thing to talk about is the name. It's so good. Yeah, that's why. Operation I, Mincemeat is so yeah, good. Yeah, and it just came from a list. I find that so funny. I reckon you're right. It was a shopping list. Mm. Mincemeat. 
eggs. Operation Marmite doesn't sound as good, does it? No, that nah. sounds gross. It's not as good. <laughs> Pork texture. <laughs> a little runnier than it should be. <laughs> so the plan was uh, to place documents on the corpse and then float it off the coast of Spain, whose uh, neutral government, nominally neutral, was known to cooperate with the German military. Um, Montague and Chomley began to create a fictitious background and character for the body. <laughs> they chose the name William Martin and gave him a rank of Captain Acting Major of the Royal Marines assigned to Combined Operation Headquarters. As a Royal Marine, Major Martin came under uh, admiralty authority and would be easy to ensure that all official inquiries and messages about his death would be routed to the Naval Intelligence Division, so they'd have word. Um, Royal Marines uh, also wore battle dress, which was easily obtained, (laughs) and came in standard sizes. (laughs) So they're like, well, that'll be easier to get. Um, the rank of acting major made him senior enough to be entrusted with sensitive documents, but not so prominent that anyone would expect to know him. So when they'd heard right. that this... Right, he's not an A-list enemy. Totally. Or that when, uh, like, because they're keeping it secret, obviously, from the Germans, but also, like, their own people too. Yeah. Right, so there's any spies, whatever, doing exactly. a, bit of, a bit of digging. I haven't heard of this William Short. Was yeah, what's going William on here, Martin. William Martin? So I think that's why they're probably gone with a, a forgettable name as well. And Martin, <laughs> which they've just proved. Yeah, there. William Short. I've never heard of it. <laughs> I read that there was like heaps of Martins as well. So Martin was a really common surname, so it was just sort of oh, okay, it's just another Martin. It but wasn't you, a really weird name, or and you said also he's the announcement of death is rooted through that naval stuff. Yeah. So if anyone did ask, there is a record. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he's dead. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they wanted William Martin to be more than just a soldier. <laughs> They wanted to sell that he was definitely a real man. Mm. They wanted him to be sponsored by Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> so they added pocket litter, things to paint a picture of a, of a life he definitely lived and that was not made up by two men in a boardroom. Okay. Oh, Unused condom. He's a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> musk lifesavers. He loved musk. He loved musk. Jeez, a vivid picture's being painted now. <laughs> Hated mint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got, he's got a packet of mint that he's clearly crushed up. He doesn't want mint. I hate mint. <laughs> So they included a photograph from a made-up fiancé named Pam. Oh, oh Pam. Attractive, but not too attractive. Not out of his league. Yeah, but it was actually just a picture of a clerk from MI5. Her name was Jean. Sorry, Jean. <laughs> Sorry about that. Didn't realise it was going to be a real person. There was also two love letters um, uh, from Pam that were included, as was a receipt for a diamond engagement ring costing <laughs> £53. That's funny. Wow, but not the ring. Not so the ring. As he... In, oh. in their backstory, you reckon he's already proposed or he's thinking about when he gets home? Well, it says fiancé, so maybe they've already – maybe oh, she's yeah. got the ring. But that for some an... reason, he's still holding on to the receipt <laughs> in case it doesn't work yeah, out. Yeah, got to return <laughs> I've got 30 days, Pam, so, so – he's a tight-ass virgin who loves musk. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I imagine he's just got lots of notes in there, just over-explaining everything. Yeah. He's like, um, oh, today, quick note to remember, you are engaged uh, and – your name is Martin or William. William. Much love, William Martin in brackets, maybe short. <laughs> Can't remember. In other brackets, definitely engaged. In other brackets, definitely real. Then no, it's like, hey, hey, mate, you just do you. <laughs> believe in yourself, Martin. In yourself you're a real person. Yes. I believe in you because you're real. <laughs> if I die, I definitely don't check my body for rat poison. Why would I come into contact with that? Anyway. <laughs> Bye. I do like rat poison a little bit, so I eat a little bit. Yeah. If anyone finds it, that's for a while. Yeah, I, but I'm microdosing. There's no way I'll die from it. <laughs> Actually, I've built up a result to it. So they also went to 
extremes to ensure that the letters would remain legible after they'd been immersed in seawater. Did they, like, carve them into stone? <laughs> no, Montague asked MI5 scientists to conduct tests on different inks to see which would last longest in water, and they provided him with a suitable list of popular and available ink brands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, MI5. It's much like Bond. You yeah. know, when he goes and goes, you got anything exciting for me? And they go, yeah, here's a list of pen brands. Yeah. Go to the local news agency and pick one out. We've got Bic, Biro, <laughs> Papermate. Take your pick. There are theories, and I think, and I didn't read heaps about this um, for this story, but uh, like the character of M in James Bond, I think is partly based on Godfrey, his boss. Oh. Um, so there's like, there's definitely a little bit of... James Bond in I thought here. When, the way that started, you know, trying to come up with a kind of ink that would work underwater, I'm yeah. like, that is cool low-key Bond stuff. Yeah. But the result being, here's a, here's a list of brands of ink. Big pen should be fine. <laughs> should be right. That's so funny. So funny. Um, so they just kept adding things. And I don't, I don't know how big his bag was. but <laughs> pockets are so full. <laughs> he also had, he had a book of stamps, a silver cross and a St. Christopher's medallion, cigarettes, matches, a pencil stub, keys and a receipt from a shop for a new T-shirt he'd just bought. To provide a date that Martin had been in London, ticket stubs from a London theatre show and a bill for four nights lodging at the Naval and Military Club were added. So he's got all these Honestly, receipts sort and your pockets out, mate. He's like George <laughs> Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he carrying it all? I was thinking, why is he carrying all of this? And then I was like, oh, all of that's on my phone. Okay, uh, this yes. is pre-phones. Is he, is, he, is he keeping that for tax time? Is that yeah. what the plan is? He's trying to claim the... He's taking it with him on a mission. It's yeah. In a plane. You're in like, plane. oh, I better keep the, this uh, theatre receipt. And um, not in your in a bag. It's all in his pockets. But yeah. I, I mean, Maybe yeah, some, I think does it get sus at some point? You know, would they have been wi- worrying much? if they were... Yeah, it does feel like it's bordering on too much. Well, don't you know worry. You those they... movies you watch and it's like all exposition at the start? Yeah. This feels like he he's like that personified. It's not even done. They're okay. still working on it. Because uh, they also made attempts because he needed some sort of like ID. He needed an ID card. So they tried to take a picture of him for the ID card. <laughs> oh, no. But it was a little too obvious that it was a corpse. He's already dead. They tried. They were like, well, we'll just take a photo of him. Uh... How? They, anyway, this is a real. Oh, I was going to say this is a real guy. Just get one of his photos. But but he wasn't a soldier. Yeah, he was wasn't a soldier, guy, yeah. and he, he was living on the street, so yeah. he possibly didn't have a selfie a, with him, a photo no. album or anything. <laughs> so Montague and Chomley then conducted a search for people who resembled him, and they found uh, Captain Ronnie Reed, who worked for MI5, and he agreed to be photographed for the uh, ID Captain card. Ronnie Reed. Ronnie Reed. How similar do you think he looked? I mean, what are the chances in their office there's someone that looks like him? Well, I think, I mean, it, it, close enough. Have you seen old photos? All people look the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's, that's true. You look at your grandparents' photos and you're like, is that you? And also when they find a body, it'll probably already, I mean, it would have been decomposed. It's not going to look perfect. Yeah, right. So it just has to be passable. I like the idea that it is just, they go, oh, geez, he's badly decomposed. Oh, no, here's his ID. That's just how he always looks. <laughs> he probably just died now. <laughs> he might be alive, actually. I don't know. Um, so it was amazing. Um, so they've got a picture of Ronnie Reed wearing the Royal Marine uniform. Um, they thought of everything. The ID passes looked too new for, an, for a soldier who'd been serving for a while. So they 
issued them as recent replacements. Ah, uh, yeah. So that it was like, no, he, he lost them and he's just got new ones. Like, they've thought everything through. Did you write that in a letter to his friends? I can't believe I lost my ID card again. <laughs> Lucky I got these replacements just the other day. Yeah. And then Montague spent three weeks rubbing the passes on his trousers so they looked <laughs> How many weeks did he stop for three? <laughs> no breaks, no rest. He never went to bed. Yeah, he's what, come to bed. the night. No, I'm doing this my for my country. <laughs> he, just run, he wore out seven pairs of jeans. <laughs> just rubbing it. So weird. They also needed a uniform. They needed it to look worn, you know, well-worn. So Chomley put on the uniform and just wore it around to break it in. <laughs> he wore it around just constantly rubbing. So just like he's just like doing weird movements just to loosen up those shoulders. Yeah, doing the snake. Yeah, it's on the floor. <laughs> he's doing yoga ah, in the yes. suit. So the body's just about ready, and they need to sort some fake documents to fool the enemy. So Montague outlined three criteria for the document that um, would contain the details of the falsified plans to land in the Balkans. Um, he said that the target should be casually but clearly identified, and that it should be an unofficial correspondence that would not normally be sent by diplomatic courier or encoded signal. So the main document basically was a personal letter from Lieutenant General Sir Archibald Nye. Archie Lieutenant. Nye. Lieutenant. Is that an, that's a different... Lieutenant General. Oh, Lieutenant. Because right. <laughs> I haven't heard of some of these titles. Yeah. I would not have been surprised if there was another one. Lieutenant. I'd... Lieutenant. <laughs> Lieutenant General. Um. He was the vice chief of the Imperial General Staff and he had a deep knowledge of ongoing military operations. So the letter was from him to General Sir Harold Alexander, who was the commander of the Anglo-American 18th Army Group in Algeria and Tunisia under General Eisenhower. I don't understand any of this uh, and I do a lot of reports on World War II and I don't get it. But anyway. But basically, well, they're just trying to set up. The letter from two high ups. Two high ups saying, hey, we're going to land in the Balkans. Exactly. From one high up to another. After several attempts at writing a fake letter, they kept coming up with things that didn't feel natural. So it was... <laughs> Love just the brainstorming really, going on in this situation. Oh, it doesn't feel like it's him. Just pacing around the boardroom going, no, no, no. Again, they're <laughs> scrunching up paper and throwing it. So uh, it was suggested that Nye should just draw up the letter himself. <laughs> Give him the criteria and he'll write a letter. So right. he did. Do it in your voice, Nye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's what we need you to cover. Um, but he did it, and the letter that Nye wrote was perfect, and it identified Greece as the target, but that was a dummy, as the real plan was to invade Sicily. Oh. There was a couple of other letters as well, one of which had a single black eyelash placed within it to check if the Germans or the Spanish had opened it, when it eventually made its way back to the British. That is a super James Bond thing. There's one James Bond movie with Sean Connery where he uh, gets a piece of hair and licks it and then puts it over a cupboard to see if someone's opened it. Oh, like sort of yeah, so it yes. sticks against to, yeah against the, the it's a sliding door and if they open it he'll know yeah so that is super James Bond shit yeah an eyelash <laughs> he's gonna volunteer one eyelash don't try Matt did you get one no. oh ow the planning team first thought of having the handle of the suitcase clutched in the corpse's hand because they're like, rigor mortis, it'll stay there. Um, but then they realised that rigor would probably wear off and the briefcase would just drift away. Oh, that would suck. That would suck because that's where all the documents are. Um, so they therefore equipped him with a leather-covered chain like ones used by bank and jewellery couriers to secure anything from people grabbing them. Um, so it has a chain that runs down the sleeve um, to the case. But then Montague thought it seemed unlikely that the Major would keep the bag secured to his wrist during a long flight. So they 
they looped it around the belt of his trench coat. Yeah. All right, think it through. Think, you're not going to hold casual. it the whole time, are yeah. you? Put it on your on your belt. Right, so it's handcuffed essentially to his belt. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a tricky one because it does feel like there's a lot of real little red flags, but also it's it's the kind of thing like you know when you're always paranoid when you're playing a prank. Yeah. yeah, or oh, like yeah, yeah. planning a surprise party. You're, You're overthinking. Like, they're they're going to notice. Oh no! Of course they know, but no one else is thinking. Oh, they've got a surprise party for me. Exactly. Unless you're me, and then I'm thinking it every <laughs> <All> birthday <laughs> and other special occasions. Because and what what's super likely to happen? Like tree day. <laughs> oh God, I want a surprise tree day party so bad. It's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So anyway, so the body and the documents are ready to go. Now, how do they get the body to where they need it to be? So it's supposed to be. It's supposed to look like it's a victim of an airplane crash, but it was decided that to try to simulate the accident at sea using flares and other devices could be too risky, too obvious. You're out in the open. They considered seaplanes and surface ships, but they were all too risky and too obvious to the enemy. So a submarine was chosen as the method delivering the corpse to the region. That Love makes it. sense. I love submarines. They don't make any sense. They're so dumb. It makes sense in war, I guess. But the rest of the time, why do you have a why do you need a submarine? I know, I've been I've been regretting getting one, to be honest. <laughs> what? You don't need one. I know. And you know what? You don't need two. Yeah, well, after you get one, it looks weird. <laughs> yeah, in the garage. Two, you got a couple. Yeah. You got a pair. Yeah, that's true. Oh man. Also, one time I had a few drinks after I went to my underwater lair. <laughs> so I had to get an Uber boat home, a U boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and and so then I'm like, oh, how do I get back? I don't want to pay for another Uber. It's already so far down the path of may as well just buy another submarine. So, but yeah. then they were both down there. Yeah, well, I know. I'm not saying it's a perfect solution. <laughs> so you had to take a friend down to Yeah, I had to because at first I tried to drive them both back <laughs> at the same time, you know, just out the window one, but that let all this water in. Can one tow the other? Where were you? <laughs> Honestly, where were you? Why don't you call me? You should always call me Bugger. for these things. I'm yeah. so smart. Should have towed one. I'm so smart when it comes to submarines. I, when I th- I'm like, I'll tow one, but then I thought, well, I, a land cruiser doesn't work under the ground. It's in the name. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't think, yeah, submarine. Yeah, sub, submarine. Sub, sub tow, sub. Sub tow, sub. So they dropped him off in a sub. Please tell me they fired him out like a tornado. <laughs> <That would be. laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, growing, getting bigger, it all means the same thing. Squarespace (laughs) makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And if you're worried about like, well, I don't know how to write stuff for a website and make myself look good, well, you can get help with the written content for your website with Squarespace AI. You can generate instant personalized results that highlight your brand identity you can explain what your site's about choose your tone enter what you need and bang 
You got some short and long form text, baby. So Squarespace AI makes it easy to go live, stand out and succeed online. I'm so glad you had that bit because I thought it was pronounced Squarespace AI. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses or sell files your customers can download. I don't know if I'm hitting all these words as <laughs> intended, like PDFs, musics, or ebooks. I would love to buy Matt's ebook. I'd like to buy Matt's course, and you you can do that. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Be more like Matt. Oh, one hundred and one. <laughs> wow. How yeah. many? One, does it go to one hundred and two? It goes all the way to one hundred and two. <laughs> wow. You can customize everything with next generation editing technology. You can create engaging lessons your audience will love and then set the price. You can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Matt, how much is it to be more like Matt 101? Oh, three mil. Wow. Wow. Like per month or? Yeah, USD. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash do go on. <laughs> With a suitcase attached to his jacket. Boom. Oh, I'm so disappointed. That is not Fire torpedo one. <laughs> that would have been so good. So um, that's that's their plan. They're like, we'll, we'll get a submarine. So they had a meeting on the 13th of April, 1943. By the time this has happened, the war has been over for three years. It's the longest process. It's It's been going on for uh, six months. It took three weeks just to scratch an ID. I know, fucking hell. So the committee of the chief of staffs had a meeting and agreed that they thought the plan should proceed. And they, the committee informed Colonel John Bevan that he needed to obtain final approval from Winston Churchill. I was about to say surf shirt. <laughs> That's a band. <laughs> um, two days later, he met the Prime Minister, who was in bed wearing a dressing gown and smoking a cigar. (laughs) And he warned Churchill that there were several aspects that could go wrong, including that the Spaniards might pass the corpse back to the British without the papers being read at all. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? You Thanks. Thank you, but we really wanted you to do some spying. No, 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 we don't. No, just give it to someone else. So it could be for nothing or it could just completely fail. Who knows? All that work, imagine that. Yeah. But you know how they had that guy wore the uniform for three weeks or something? Yeah. Feels like surely they could have got a uniform off a soldier who just yep. gone, here's a new suit for you, we'll, we'll take your old one, we're replacing him or something. Yeah, that could have made sense too. But they got him a new one and wore it in. <laughs> so anyway, John Bevins told Churchill, uh, look, it, it might not work or they might just send him back without the papers being read. And Churchill replied that in that case, we shall have to get the body back and give it another swim. <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish people go like, again. What? <laughs> How's this guy turned up again? What? Anyway, so in the early hours of 17th of April 1943, they were preparing the body of Glyndor Michael and dressing him as William Martin. But there was a last minute problem the corpse's feet had frozen. Ah, they cold feet. <laughs> well, <laughs> if he's getting nervous, then yeah. maybe we'll have to call the whole thing off. They couldn't get his boots on him, so they had to use little heaters to defrost the feet enough so they could get the boots on. Probably look a bit sus if he didn't have shoes on when they found him. But they got his boots on, um, and he was placed in a specially made canister, which was filled with 21 pounds or nine and a half uh, kilos of dry ice and sealed up, um, because that would keep the body preserved without refrigeration. Right. So the canister's placed in a a van of of an MI5 driver, um, his name was St. John Horsfall. 
who outside of the war was a champion race car driver. Wow. Fuck yeah. Horseful. Get him, get him to drive our van. And they did. Um, so Chomley and Montague went along with him and as they drove through the night into West Scotland um, where the canister was taken on board the submarine HMS Seraf. Seraf's commander was Lieutenant Bill Jewell. Another good name. Every Jewel, name. I know. Um, he and his crew had previous special operations experience and Jewell told his men that the canister contained a top secret uh, meteorological device. Did I nail that or what? Yes. Um, mm. That was going to be de- deployed near Spain. So even the crew on board didn't know what was happening. I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> whatever, we don't care. Why I mean, are you talking why about you are? <laughs> Come on. Oh, my God, <laughs> duh. Can we go? <laughs> don't care. <laughs> Talking about fly fishing and stuff. All right, whatever, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I, just oh. to, I have to go drive the submarine now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Here comes Bill Jewell with another boring story. <laughs> so Seraf set sail on the 19th of April and arrived just off the coast of, how did we decide it was? Welver or something Welver. Like that. Ten days later on the 29th of April. Along that ten-day journey, the submarine had been bombed twice but carried on. And at 4.15am on the 30th of April, Seraf surfaced. Um, Jewel had the canister brought up onto the deck, then sent all of his crew below except the officers that were with him. They opened the container and lowered the body into the water. He read a prayer, apparently, um, and then ordered the engines full steam ahead and the wash from the propellers pushed the corpse towards the shore. So they sort of sent it off in the direction it needed to go. Imagine got they chewed up. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so they also needed to get rid of the canister because, like, maybe that would look a little bit sus if they were captured or whatever. So they, um, they take it back onto the submarine. They travel for about 12 miles and then they resurfaced again and they put the empty canister uh, they, they pushed it into the water and as it floated they just shot it with machine guns <laughs> trying to make it sink. That's fun. But it didn't work. <laughs> so instead they just uh, used plastic explosives to blow it up. <laughs> Way less suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, just going to blow something up. And then Jewel uh, sent a message on to the higher-ups to say, mincemeat completed, and he continued on to Gibraltar. So the body of Major Martin was found at around 9.30 a.m. that day, so five hours later. Um, by a local fisherman, and it was taken to um, the Spanish uh, Spanish officials, and it was handed over to a naval judge, and a guy called Francis Hazelden, another good name. He was the um, British vice consul, and he was officially uh, informed by the Spaniards of uh, the discovery of an English soldier. He reported back to uh, Admiralty that the body and briefcase had been found. Also, Francis Hazelden is totally in on this and he knows. So there was a series of pre-scripted diplomatic cables back and forth between Hazelden and his superiors, which continued for several days. The British knew that these were being intercepted and although they were encrypted, the Germans had broken the code and the message played out that the story... Uh, played out the story that it was imperative that Hazelden retrieve the briefcase because it was important. So the Germans are like, oh, my God, that briefcase right. has got important shit in it. But they they know they're being intercepted. They're doing this on purpose. I love that. Yeah, and the still encrypting it. So you've yeah. got to make it feel like it's a, a real find. Exactly, because if you just went like, oh, get that briefcase, it's got good shit in it, they'd be like, that seems. Too easy. <laughs> yeah. So they're still don't, encrypting. Don't let it. the Germans read what's in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've sent the message in German. <laughs> <laughs> Briefcase important. Get it. Um, so 
Uh, Actung. <laughs> a couple of days later, um, at midday on the 1st of May, an autopsy was undertaken on, on the body. And Francis Hazelden was president of the autopsy and he wanted to ensure that the Spanish doctors didn't identify that this was in fact a three-month-old corpse. So he said, look, it's hot today. This corpse stinks. Can we wrap this up and get out of here? It's lunchtime. Yeah. And they did. Great. <laughs> and they're like, man. This corpse they're stinks. Like, they're like, good point. You're in the wrong gig. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, corpse. No. Oh, come on. But it is making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want lunch? Who's up for burgers? My shout. And it worked. They signed a death certificate for Major William Martin for asphyxiation through immersion in the sea. So he drowned. Um, and the body was released by the Spanish and as Major Martin, he was buried in the San Marco section of a cemetery um, with full military honours the next day on the May, on May 2nd. Fantastic. Is he still there? Yes. That oh, is wow. pretty amazing. With that, with the fake uh, name on the tombstone? And yeah, because I'll talk about it later. But this entire time, they never revealed who right. he, he actually was. Wow. So only like... Uh, Chomley and Montague and the coroner know for a really long time. I'll talk about that uh, uh, at the end. Um, so the Spanish Navy, they, Navy, <laughs> Navy <laughs> whew, they retained the briefcase and despite pressure from the German intelligence agents, they refused to hand it over. Um, but the, more and more the German agents are knowing, they're finding out more and more, they're like, this is really important, we, we have to have it. Um, so it gets sent to Madrid and... Um, Admiral Wilhelm Canaris, definitely pronounced wrong. He was the head of the um, German spies. Another word I can't pronounce, so German spies. Um, he personally intervened and persuaded the Spanish to surrender the documents. So um, some of the Spanish authorities, they basically took photos of everything and sent it on. They didn't give them everything because they had to give that back to the British. So they removed the – the paper was still damp. They took it out and dried it. They took photos. Then they soaked it in salt water for 24 hours. I don't really know why. Oh, what, to make it look like they – Hadn't? Ha- hadn't dried it? They had to, like, get it out with a cylinder kind of thing and they I – don't, I, don't, I really don't understand how it worked. But, like, basically they left the envelope sealed. It was sealed with wax and stuff. They got the letter out Oh wow! another way. So yeah, they basically at the back door. Yeah, but the do uh, envelopes have back doors? I assume so. <laughs> um, so then they put the letter back in the envelope, uh, but the eyelash is gone. So oh. is the eyelash expected to last for like days and like hours and? I mean, sea they don't necessarily disintegrate, do they? But, but like, it also feels like the kind of thing that you'd be like, maybe it just I don't know. Just, yeah, it just falls just, off. Yeah. But I guess if you if it's in there sealed, well, you sticky tape it find, down. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's how you know. Um, so then they those photos and the information that was in uh, in the briefcase was passed on to the Germans on the eighth of May, and it was considered so important that um, some pretty high up spies took it to Germany themselves. Themselves, and a few days later, the briefcase was was returned to um, Hazelden by the Spanish authorities, and he forwarded it back to London. And the documents were forensically examined back in London, and the missing eyelash was noted. So, like, okay, they opened it. We reckon. Further tests showed that the fibres in the paper had been damaged by folding more than once, which confirmed that the letters had been extracted and read. To allay any potential German fears that their activities had been discovered, another prearranged encrypted but breakable cable was sent to Hazelden 
stating that the envelopes had been examined and that they'd not been opened. Right. They knew they definitely had. Jeez, that's smart. Um, and Hazlitt had even leaked the news to Spaniards, ones that he knew were sympathetic to the Germans. He went to the pub. <laughs> He's like, well, so they didn't uh, got away with that. And, <laughs> uh, I, I think I just I missed this. Um, how how long did it take for the body to be found? How long was it in the water before? Like the... five hours. Really? It was later that day. So they just put it in a spot they knew people were around. They yeah. would be around. Oh, because they pushed it towards the shore. Yeah, and it was found by a fisherman. So and the tide would be wow. coming in. Yeah, and they knew. That feels like, so they just, because it feels like there'd be a chance it might take ages. Well, but... they did heaps. Like, there was so many different uh, potential spots that they were going to choose, and I don't think this was high up on their list originally, but then with the tides and, and a whole bunch of factors, they figured that it so would smart. probably work, and it did. But, yeah, so they dropped him off at, like, 4.30 in the morning and he was found at 9.30. Amazing. Ridiculous. Um, but, obviously, the, the, the like, having discovered it, it's a fairly decomposed body. They probably would have assumed it had been in longer. Yeah, but so, which is also perfect. Exactly. Um, so final proof that the Germans had been uh, passing information from the letters came um, not long after, on the 14th of May, when a German communication was decrypted and the message, which had been sent two days previously, warned that the invasion was to be in Greece. So they're like, okay, they definitely think we're going to invade Greece. Um, uh, a message was sent by Brigadier Ooh, yes. Leslie Hollis. Oh, hello. Brigadier Hollis. Hello, Brigadier. He sent a message to Churchill, who was um, in the United States at the time. Still in his robe. <laughs> Still in his robe. <laughs> Always in a robe. Almost definitely with a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> but the message read, mincemeat swallowed rod, line and sinker by the, by the right people. <laughs> hook, line and sinker, you dickhead. Oh. Um, by the right people. and from but that's a, Like hook, line and sinker is a wild thing for a fish to have swallowed all of that. But the rod as well. Rod. That's, they've really <laughs> swallowed this. Imagine a fish is just, that's really selling it. Rod, line and sinker by the right people. And from the best information, they look like acting on it. So they're like, we fucking got him. Montague continued the deception to reinforce the existence of Ma- the existence of Major Martin and included his details in the published list of British casualties, which appeared in the Times on the fourth of June. It's a made-up person, but they've added him in there. Great. By coincidence, also published that day were the names of two other officers who had died when their plane was lost at sea. So it added cred- credibility to his story. Somehow, by coincidence. By the end of June, German troops, uh, German troop strength on Sardinia had been doubled to 10,000 with uh, fighter aircrafts also based there as support. Um, they moved two divisions to the Balkans from the Eastern Front. German torpedo boats were moved from Sicily to the Greek islands in preparation. There were seven German uh, divisions transferred to Greece, raising the number to eight. There was only one there. They put seven other divisions in there. And uh, there was, yeah, they just like, they just went really hard putting all of their people into Greece. And on the 9th of July, the Allies invaded Sicily in Operation Husky. Great operation too. For a considerable time after the initial invasion, Hitler was still convinced that the attack on the Balkans was imminent. So they were still taking people out of Sicily to Greece wow. when Sicily was being invaded. Adolf, we can see them. They're right there. <laughs> no, no, no. no. It's, this is just like a small invasion and they're going to hit harder here. They want us to... <laughs> Oh no! By the time thinking that was Sicily was the decoy. Oh wow! They were thinking, 
Yeah, they're thinking Sicily's a decoy and it's going to be even bigger in Greece. Amazing. But it never was. And by the time the German high command realised the mistake, it was too late to make a difference. Wow. So it was, it was hugely successful. And uh, Montague was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire in 1944 for his part in Operation Mincemeat um, for masterminding the plan. Uh, Chomley was appointed a member of the order in 1948. And wrapping it up a little bit, a guy called Duff Cooper. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I'm pretty sure his first name was actually Albert. Duff is way better. But um, Albert's still great. Albert Duff Cooper. Duff All Cooper. Cooper's a really good surname. Yeah. I don't know why, but that's a great surname. You do a lot with it. Maybe it's because it was one of the key families from the OC. Yes. <laughs> and almost any name goes with it. Yes. You know? Except Cooper. Cooper Cooper. I reckon oh, that's right. Even still. <laughs> I love it. Pooper Cooper. Pooper Cooper. Oh, Hanging with cute, Mr. Cooper. That'd be a cute dog name. Yeah. Pooper Cooper. Pooper Cooper. Pooper Trooper. Cooper did a pooper. <laughs> Is Cooper, Cooper a character from Mario Brothers? No. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Has Bowser and Cooper? No. Jess is the gamer. I'm of the, the gamer trio, here. So. Sorry. Right, write in and uh, let us know. Because no, there don't. Is, there is definitely. I'm fucking joking. Don't at me, you nerds. Um, Duff <laughs> Cooper, Cooper. Trooper Beach. That was the one. Duff Cooper. Oh, my God. I forgot. He was a former cabinet minister who'd been briefed on the operation in March of 1943, and he published the spy novel Operation Heartbreak. <laughs> Oh. In 1950. Was it a love? Was that just a love story? Who knows? That's it, beautiful. It, it contained the plot device of a corpse with papers naming him as William Marrington or something like that, um, being floated off the coast of Spain with false documents to deceive the Germans. So it was, it was basically Operation Mincemeat's story. He stole it for his book. The British security services decided that the best response was to publish the story of Mincemeat. So over the course of a weekend, Montague wrote The Man Who Never Was. It was published in 1953, which sold two million copies and formed the basis for a 1956 film. Fantastic. And I have a copy of that book because my dad gave it to Do me. Do you really? Yes. Wow. The Man Who Never Was. Because <laughs> now, Have so you I- read it? I have not read the book. Because that's this story. You would know so much about this and story. I was going to say, you've been playing it real cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't read the book. But I, no, I still have the copy of the book because my dad uh, was listening to late night talkback radio and it was hosted by Steve Price, who sometimes appears on the project, which I work behind the scenes on. Yep. And Steve Price was talking about the book and he said, I'd love to get a copy of it. So my dad was like, well, you sometimes might see Steve Price. And he gave it to me to give to Pricey, but I never had the courage to give it to him. <laughs> so I still just have it myself. You never had the courage to give it to him. He is like, he's famously an angry man, isn't he? Yeah, and I don't, I don't really have much of a relationship. He's no. a shock jock. Yeah. Yeah, and I work more with other, other members of the, st- of, you know, I've interviewed of the show. Have you? He was fairly pleasant to me. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, yeah no, no, he's, he's a like friendly him. man, but I just don't know him super well. Yeah. I don't work with him. He's not like on air. Um, personalities. And- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, but I've still got. Wow. And I think it's just, it's just a great title, the man who. It's never so was. good. Yeah. So Montague wrote it. Um, he had to obviously leave out some details. Careful not to identify anybody whose identity protecting and all that. Um, but like I said before, this entire time the real identity of the corpse remained a secret. It wasn't until 1996 that Roger Morgan, who's an amateur historian from London, uncovered evidence in the public records office that the identity of the corpse was Glyndor Michael. Wow. 
Wow. So the Commonwealth uh, Commonwealth War Graves Commission had taken responsibility for Major Martin's grave in 1977, but after the true identity was revealed, the commission added a postscript: Glyndor Michael served as Major William Martin. They added that in oh, 1997. That's... Yeah, it's a it's a weird play because it's like it's it's like this the real guy's been erased, but now they're saying he basically served in the army, just yeah. in, in in body, if yeah. not mind. So that grave is still there, and it has his his actual name on it now. Fantastic! It's pretty crazy. It's a wild story, and I I'll, think they're making a film or something. About it feels it. like they've got to Colin Firth, I believe. It sounds like a Firth. Yeah, it sounds like a Firthy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's Operation Mincemeat. Fantastic story. Isn't Great that crazy? story. I okay, that's one of my favourite of we've done quite a few war stories. I yeah. think that might be maybe my favourite of them. This just Most felt fascinating. Like it should not have worked. Yeah, just a lot of luck. I imagine they rolled the dice a lot and yeah. a lot of them wouldn't have come off. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But this one did somehow and it worked perfectly. Yeah, because they went all in. It wasn't like Hitler was hedging his bets. Yeah. He said, No, I fully trust this. Totally. I'm not 100% confident on this, but I'm pretty sure it was, like, uh, a pretty significant uh, operation, like that, that attack. turn on, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was wondering that. Um, I think so. Do you know more about that, Dev, as a German descendant? Do you know, do you have any... <laughs> what are you talking about? Is it one of your German name? It is. Yeah, my great-grandfather was came out, from, I think, in 1900 to Australia. Okay. Maybe, no, my great-great-grandfather. Mm. So well before World War One <laughs> and just, Two, it's just really <laughs> just to put that home there. You've really, you've a really sore spot there. Drill that home. Get yourself well out over this a one. century. But, but you're also a, a history buff. Uh, do you, would you know what was it, was it a big one that turned the war? Um, Jess is saying she thinks it is. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Well, I think there's lots and lots of little things. Because there's like, yeah, there's imagine. There's so many. It's hard. Yeah, that's the – because he made big mistakes, didn't he? Because it was the kind of thing that if Hitler made a few different decisions, it, yeah. it was pretty He hard. had a strong hand at some point. Yeah, Winston Churchill used to talk about the hinge of fate, about whether it would go one way or the other. Right. Yeah, yeah and I'm pretty sure part of – you know, like big, getting, big part was – Getting in, Russia yeah, offside. In, invading Russia during winter when they were, you know, supposedly your ally was not a smart thing. Right. No one ever invades Russia in winter and And Japan lives. bombing Pearl Harbor is seen as another huge one, bringing America into the war. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this stuff, but I, and I always think, oh, I wish I could go, I should go back and just really get stuck into the whole history. It's so, it's I so mean, we're, hard. We're, we must have done 10 episodes on little stories from the two world wars, and I, they're just all these little yeah. bit, uh, battles or pe- people from around it. It's it's amazing how uh, complex that it's amazing how complex these world wars. <laughs> God, it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that was oh man, I I love that story. I know. It had everything. It's like this, of course this should be a movie. Yeah, definitely. And I, and they have done other like it's appeared in TV shows and I think there was another film somewhere in there as well. There's like a play that they do in Wales now about the early life of Glyndor Michael, kind of like the reimagining. It's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, so how I think, he got his taste for rap? Really. I think there'll be a film out um, sometime soon, and it'll be another one of those situations where we do a report on something and then it's a film. That happens quite often. It does. It does. We're very like... influential. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. We just or our listeners pick stories that are so good that. Are always yeah. on their way to Hollywood. That's it does much. feel like that happens a lot. Like we 
do one and a movie's announced soon after that it's in development about yeah. the topic we've done. That was a great uh, report. Thanks so much, Boppa. Absolute pleasure. I think it's funny that I um, mentioned at the start that um, that we Dave and I interrupt a bit, and I felt that today. We definitely did that. <laughs> no, just at bad times. And I was like, oh, there's a good, there's a good line here. I'll start again. Uh, no, nah, good on you. Well, um, that brings us to nearly everyone's favourite part of the show. I, know, I think some people listen for the report, but I think most people listen yeah. for the fact, the quote, or the question. I believe that's true. The way people can get involved in this is uh, supporting us on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash pod. And one of the levels, which is called the Sydney Schweinberg Deluxe Rest in Peace Memorial Level or something like that, <laughs> and... In, if you're on that level, you get to give me a, a fact, a quote, or a question, and I'll read it out for the first time on the show, and I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Here we uh, go. Okay. Firstly, uh, from Stephen Carter, he's given himself a title, which is another thing you have to do when mm-hmm. you give us a fact, a quote, or a question, and Stephen Carter's given himself the title of Senior Vice Apprentice of Cher Cuzzies. Cher Cuzzies. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Dave, do you mind looking that up? How do I spell this? C-H-U-R. C-H-U-R. C-U-Z-Z-I-E-S. Churkazis. Okay. And then his question is, while Dave's looking that up. C-H-U-R. C-H-U-R. C-U-Z-Z-I-E-S. Yeah. Doesn't come with anything. Could be. Could just be a little thing from his life. Yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe I'll put into two words just in case. Not much is coming up. Interesting. Well, his question is, if all the mascots of all NRL and all AFL teams were forced to fight to the death, who would win for each comp and who would win the grand final? Who would win for each comp? So, yeah, who would, who's this, who, I mean, in the AFL. Bombers. Right? The bombers uh, shit out of every other. Uh, Titans. Uh, well, I think, yeah, the bombers. <laughs> The bombers definitely uh. take down all the animals, right? Yeah, easily. So you've got, because you think of the what animals. demons? Tigers are the biggest carnivore, aren't they, Dave? Land carnivore, is that right, Jess? I don't know why. I always ask Dave like he knows everything. He does know everything. What about polar bear? That's not a mascot in the in either competition. Yeah, but you're saying of the okay, great. Mammals. Sorry, sorry. He's yeah, answering yeah. your question. Of the <laughs> AFL. Yeah, because I was going to say people are going to write in and be like, oh, what oh about the polar sure. bear? So, but yeah, the Bombers are going to beat all them. Then who else you got? The Saints, my team. You'd think, I bet, but they're good. But, but you got Demons. And then Demons. I think both of those sort of are going to overpower a human-powered plane with, that drops bombs. Yeah. So Saints and Demons feel like they're the top. Mm-hmm. Blues, of course. Depression what what does. is a blue? <laughs> Depression. Well, I don't The Blues, <laughs> having the Blues. <laughs> it's a musical style. <laughs> Or it's a sadness. Right, so you reckon the, the pilots will get the blues? Yeah, I think I think blues defeats any of those. Come for us all. But I think, yeah, I think Saints versus Demons, who wins, I guess, from your perspective? Demons. Demons, Dave? Who wins that battle? S- say it again. Who, Saints who's... versus Demons. Oh, sadly, it's Demons. All right, well, you, uh, you, you overall me, I would have to say the Saints, but two Demons win. All right, so Demons in the AFL, then... In the NRL, which I again, you've got a lot of animals: rabbits, mm-hmm. tigers, panthers. But then you've got storm. sharks. Sharks. That's the only one good. I know. The is it a land in, fight if or is water. it a... If you're in water, they're going to win. Yeah, big time. On land, sharks are almost the first out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Storm is pretty got to be pretty big. Yeah. So especially if you're like X-Men Storm. She's very powerful. Especially mm. if they're also abusing the salary cap. Boom! <laughs> that is a rugby joke! Yes! <laughs> uh, sorry, league joke. Rugby fan. Rugby league. Don't, you don't call it rugby? People will say, if you say rugby, that's rugby union, and people in the northern states will get annoyed at you. No, it's not I, rugby, it's league. No, let me just tell those people, when I say rugby, I mean league. <laughs> and when I say league, I mean rugby union. It's very confusing, but that's how we do it down here. So no, fuck off. Not, Dave. Dave. Fuck off. That's not how we do but it. But you're right, the Titans are a, the Gold Coast Titans. So can Titans beat Storm? How do you They've go? got a three thing. Yeah. What have they got? A, a trident. Trident. Yes. Yes. Um, so, there's, all, there's also there's the raiders, which are Vikings, but they're oh, just humans. I'm going to say sharks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, and it's, a, it's a water-based Yeah, and, yep. and the titans and the other ones can't swim. Okay. So, so sharks I mean, win. My, my vote is absolutely with the rabbitos. The rabbitos. The rabbits will win. The rabbits will win. Yeah, because they'll just keep breeding. They'll never stop. They'll never stop. We're humans try to take them down with meninger cockle or whatever. (laughs) Mix mitosis. (laughs) What's meninger cockle? That's a disease we get as humans. Mm, Yeah, that really backfired. (laughs) Stop sharing drinks, rabbits. You might get meninger cockle. Okay, so we're saying... Sharks. I think sharks are going to beat rabbits. I would have thought the storm. No. No, okay. So we're going to go... So, a storm can't survive in the water. It just makes the water. So you, Once it's water, then what? Sharks. out of a demon and a shark? Sharks! <laughs> sharks are beating demons? It's in the water! Demons, demons, can't, can't, swim. demons swim. can't swim. They're used to lava. Our, it's different. You're just being... Because you know that our Prime Minister loves the sharks. Fuck and that's off. is that why you're saying the sharks? You're just no, trying to stay in sharkies. Scott Morrison's good books. Yeah, well, while he's having fun in Hawaii, you're here defending him. <laughs> That's been bigger than news this yeah. week. If anyone's listening at this at the this time, is our prime be very minister, uh, Australia's having awful fires, and and it it has not gone down well that our prime minister has left the country. Some people are like let him have his family holiday, and other people are like. Maybe cancel the holiday when your country's on fire. Yeah, yeah, but that's expensive. That's true. Yeah, can't get refunds. <laughs> if you cancel the holiday within two weeks before you go, you're not getting anything. We out. found out when we missed our flight from Dublin to Glasgow. I mean, come on. Yeah. I you was... miss one flight and they make you pay for another. I mean, what the hell? I was honestly so impressed that we did not have a meltdown. We were all we so were... calm. I was telling a friend about that. We were all very nice about it. It was fine. We were great. Oh, there's also the dragons. Okay. Dragons are beating a shark. Shark. Nah. Shark. Dragons, surely. Shark. Dragons can't <laughs> swim. Put a dragon in the ocean. Yeah. And, and, oh, you got fire breath. Good fucking luck underwater. Yeah, shark. going to do shit. Well, I feel like I'm not going to be out. Can I? And you're saying sharks beat demons. Yes. All right. <laughs> Apparently sharks win. Jeez, it's, uh, hopefully you're happy with that answer, um, sir. I'd like to call you sir, Stephen Carter. <laughs> do, we think Stephen, do we think Stephen Carter's from New Zealand? Because the only thing that came up for me is the culturetrip.com has 15 Kiwi slang words to help you speak like a local in New Zealand. Oh, it must be. And one of them is cuzzy, uh, uh, as in, sure, cuzzy. Which is things like, sure, cuzzy, this is a sign of affection, a significant verbalization of someone telling someone else they consider them a friend and an ally. Cuzzy is a little more colloquial than the more nationally used mate, but extends the same feeling of brother or sisterhood to the recipient. I reckon sure, that's, cuzzy. I think that's definitely where I'm guessing. Cause it, I love it when people try to define slang and they're like, you know, it's like a brotherly, sisterly yeah. affection. It's like, it's just a slang word. 
Love yeah. it. I, I reckon you're, I I reckon like you're spot on. That's where he's from, I reckon. Yeah, awesome. Well, there you go. I had never heard the phrase sure cuzzy before, but I like it. I like it too. And also, uh, Maximilian Duke uh, has a question. He's given himself the title of popper of bubble wrap, consumer <laughs> of Quaso, first of his name. Am I saying Quaso right there? Yeah. Queso. Good. And his question is, what's what's Queso? He's talking about, is it Queso? Queso? Queso. Cheese in Spanish? Q-U-E-S-O. That is, cheese in Spanish, Queso. Oh, so he's a cheese eater. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Queso, a, I love a, it. It's a great word. Why do we say cheese like idiots? We're such idiots. Queso, so English is a shit language. All right. Uh, well, the cap- Captain Queso asks, it's always bothered me... <laughs> It's always bothered me that there were no teachers of normal academic subjects at Hogwarts. I mean, you're teaching children to mix complex magic potions with no basic instruction in math or science. The potential catastrophic results of giving an 11-year-old a flying broom without even an intro to drive's education course are astounding. So let's fix it. What normal, in inverted commas, subject would you be the teacher of at Hogwarts and what would have been your contribution to the final fight against Voldemort from the books slash movies? Mm, podcasting 101. Okay. Welcome the to doctor. school. You need to know this stuff, guys. Someone's got to document this and put it out on the internet. You're calling this a normal subject. Yeah. That, yeah. Right. That's fantastic. Podcast 101. You're going to uh, podcast about Voldemort's demise. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you got to document it. <laughs> of course. What, what's that saying about the, those who write the history books? In charge of it. Oh, winners write the history book? Yeah. What are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> winners record their history podcasts. Yes, well. that's right. Okay, great. I think that's a fantastic answer. Also, a little bit of jazz tap. Jazz tap. Adult contemporary dance. I don't know if you fully understand normal, but. <laughs> this was Dave's school experience. <laughs> yeah. This is the subjects I did. So. <laughs> I did jazz tap, obviously. Mm. What um, about you, Boppa? I'd be PE and health. Oh, yeah. None of those kids have any sex education. Yeah. I didn't at my Catholic school. So you'll be getting the bananas But I'll out. teach them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Bananas at the ready. Oh, they could just use their wands. Condoms on Put wands. Put a condom on a wand. Oh, that's good. No, that's going to step through. to the end. Oh, my God. Well, that's an important lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't put it on your wand. <laughs> but also, you dick. I'd be making them run laps. Yeah. Good for the endorphins. Good for mental health. Do they do any exercise? Quick from grooming, broom, broom stuff. Brooming, brooming. But so sweep your room, the kids. But I like in the final battle. Um, yeah, they can all run away now, and also then we'll talk about our feelings. Yes, in is a it, safe, healthy, constructive way. Is it confusing? Here we go. In the world of magic, we have to get a regular broom, but not one that you fly on. There are flying brooms and cleaning brooms. Do they have those? Oh. Yeah. Do they have clean? Yeah, but you have to say, can I get past the cleaning broom, for example? I think that? they refer to their flying brooms by their name. Uh, past like, the Nimbus three thousand. Past Kevin, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'll just go off the subject I was best at at school, which was English. You got to talk. I mean, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Do they study Shakespeare or anything like that there? Because a lot of them have to go and like live in a normal world. That's what I was wondering. I bet there'll be Harry Potter people who are probably maybe annoyed by this question because I've I've seen the movies. Yeah. But I don't. I wouldn't call myself a pothead. Right. I think that um, <laughs> many many would assume. <laughs> many would assume. Many have assumed. Many have and do assume, but I'm not. I'm not a pothead. But um, <laughs> I assume that the rest of the year when they're in uh, Muggle Land. <laughs> uh huh. 
They probably go to muggle school. No. No. Is that not right? They don't. No, well, you get sent home for Christmas, don't you? But maybe like, but they all. But they call it Saint Schwigens Day or something. <laughs> you go to Hogwarts when you're like eleven or twelve. So what were you doing before then? Right. Were they in normal school? Yeah. Were well, they just Harry hanging around for twelve years? Harry Your mum can't get anything done. Wasn't Harry, Harry must have gone to school. He must he have, must gone, have to school. gone to school. Yeah, but the guy from Pie in the Sky didn't let him because he didn't like him very much. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Well. I look forward to the tweets anyway from from the potheads out there. Um, thank you so much, Maximilian Duke. Long term fat quotal questioner. Really do appreciate your and support. Lover of cheese. Ah, uh, and lover of cheese. <laughs> and I've started now. We do some shout outs uh, for other patrons. If you're on the maybe the DP Cooper level and above, is that right, Dave? I forget one of the levels. You can see it in the description anyway. Um, and we thank a few people from there. But what I've been doing lately is I've been going back through our system to find uh, the ones we've missed over the years. And so um, some people have been waiting a long time. For instance, can I thank Isaac Smith, who we probably should have thanked about two years ago. What? Uh, and he's from Leeds in West Yorkshire. Thank you so much, Isaac. I wonder if we met Isaac in Leeds. Yeah. Probably. Or maybe he's so furious that we missed How thanking him. How about two him. years? So sorry, Isaac, but Well, it's just you. the sorting system on Patreon has been no good. It's so, so bad. a little bit like the sorting hat in Harry Potter, you know? Doesn't stop know what he's talking to, about. Stop trying to make people <laughs> like you. <laughs> stop pandering. Oh, mm, yes. Mm, I'm the sorting hat. Huh? Shut the fuck up and read some names. I swear to God. Uh, well, you've got to come up with a game. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we're coming up with a oh, game for these people. Oh, I've I jumped see. right in to thank, but I have not. Oh, I need a game there. We're but, naming their operation. We're giving them a code name. Oh, a code name. Not an operation okay. they have to have. Not like, you know, <laughs> knee reconstruction. Yeah, no. We were talking about footy teams before, and Isaac Smith is one of the champions of the Hawthorne Football Club. So could he his be somehow related to the Hawks? Hawks are already Something a great, Hawk, I reckon. Yeah. Something Hawk. Black Golden. Hawk down. Golden Hawk. Golden Hawk. That is good, Jess. Oh, yes. Golden Operation Golden Hawk. Yes. Oh, That's my so good. good. You're picking that out of the Rolodex, aren't you? Yeah. In the meeting. Ooh. Should we go for mincemeat or Golden Hawk? Oh, Golden Don't worry. There'll be enough. Got, there's a few missions coming up. Don't worry. We can do them both. We can do them all. Thanks, Isaac. Sorry about the, so, the Sorry delay. about the huge delay. Um, and a similarly delayed. Actually, looking at it, it's probably only about... Uh, Probably about 20 months, not two years. Um, and also, <laughs> I would love to thank from Detroit Rock City in Michigan. That's right, Detroit Rock City, Motown. Yeah, yeah, that's what the people call it. Sorry, is that what you sorry? I was yeah. thinking. <laughs> I'd love to thank... Dave, if you could follow his train of thought, please, <laughs> yeah, with a little explanation. I'd love to thank, with a, another fantastic name, Reed Tatoris. Oh, Reed Tatoris. Oh, Tator. Uh, uh, Tatoor, son. Tatoor. Operation. Gym. Gym. Membership. <laughs> I was going to say jam. Jam membership. No, gym jam. Oh, gym jam. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got to be Operation Jam membership. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we'll go with it. I'm going to um, subscribe to jam. It's one of those every month you get a different jam. <laughs> <laughs> I got a jam membership. Oh, yes, I love strawberry and raspberry, but marmalade, not my thing. So we drop a body in the ocean, and in the pocket, it has a 12 month <laughs> supply of jam. 
All different flavours. It gives him a real backstory. <laughs> Who is this crazy Englishman? <laughs> what flavours? Oh, uh, you'd have strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, marmalade. Are you counting that as a jam? Dave Fru- isn't. Oh, I don't like it, but it counts. Fruits of the forest. Oh, fruits, fruits of the forest, one of my, my favourites. My uh, mum and her siblings' favourite, plum and raspberry. Ooh, oh, never yes. had it. What about Lish, raspberry and plum the following month? Yeah, yes. slightly higher ratio of raspberry. <laughs> yeah. Um, peanut butter. Peanut butter. Is a peanut jam, peanut butter. basically. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me, the peanut butter isn't just peanut jam. That's a good point. That's I hadn't true. really thought about it like that's that. True. Honey. That's B jam. B jam. <laughs> oh, I love my B jam. <laughs> That's about twelve, anyway. Um... <laughs> Thank you so much, Mister Reed to Taurus <laughs> jam membership. Bopper. So we're just looking at these ones with no number there. Great. Okay. And I would love to thank from New York. Oh, where? New York, I oh. said, Dave. Honestly, you've got headphones on, mate, and I'm yelling into a microphone. You should be able to hear me. <laughs> I'm listening to another podcast. <laughs> the greatest shitty in the world. Greatest shitty. That's so I'm trying to do it. And I'll, what was Big Red from David Letterman, the announcer? Uh, what was his name? I know. You're the big Letterman fan. You're oh, the I'm big blanking. red. Uh, what Greatest it? shitty. Uh, fuck. Do you think it was Jacob Sullivan? Yes. <laughs> no, but that is a great name as well. Thank Jacob you, Jacob. Um, okay. All right. Dave. Uh, Operation Kaleidoscope. Ooh. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's so good. It's got to have already been a real one. I like the word kaleidoscope. It's a great word. And isn't I also it? like kaleidoscopes. They're, they're very pretty. They're very nice to look at. <laughs> they're fun. My uh, dad. Bring oh, up Martin Monarchy again. Um, got a certificate from Guinness World Records because he he was a primary school teacher and he would build all these things with the kids. Great primary school teacher, I've got, got to be honest. He went above and beyond every year. But he made uh, these giant kaleidoscopes and they were the biggest ones in the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> Which is for people who live in the Northern Hemisphere, you probably haven't heard this term, but it's, my, it's one of my favourite things. We call things... <laughs> We rate it on how big it is in the Southern Hemisphere, (laughs) which means we often in Australia can have the biggest things in the Southern Hemisphere. It's because we're the... the... Like Melbourne has just built the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere. Can you believe it? (laughs) Melbourne got it. We got it. Chadston claims to be the biggest shopping centre in the Southern Hemisphere. It's got a hotel now. Cop that, Cape Town. (laughs) Yeah, Cape Town. Ah. Is parts of Brazil south of the equator? Yeah, yeah, past them, Argentina, Chile. Yeah, so that, actually, there's a few big countries, but so funny. This is something we do a lot. Uh, Namibia and um... a lot of ocean, yeah, a lot of ocean. <laughs> Antarctica. But still, I think the Guinness World Records were, you know, That's nice awesome. enough to send him a certificate. Because That's really nice. It was still something. The Great Force was stoked with that. Oh, that is, oh no, it is. It is an amazing thing. I mean, even have the biggest thing in Melbourne is wild, but the biggest thing in all of Australia, New Zealand, and. Parts of Brazil. That is, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that, it might be all of Brazil or none of Brazil. Anyway. Very cute. But one of, I, I know one of those countries is Ecuador is the one that uh, the equator splits, isn't it? Goes that through, would make yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it would. So thank you to Jacob. And I would also like to thank... Thank you so much, Jacob. From Con- Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm losing it. Thank you Trying to move on. <laughs> I've had a I've had a, a triple espresso. Fuck. All right, that makes sense. I'd love to thank from Claremont in Western Australia, Ruth Gat Lodding. Oh, Ruth Struth Struth Ruth Gat Lodding. Gat Lodding. That is that is brilliant. I think today has been the densest episode of great names. It's oh, honestly, if you would have put him in a list, you'd be like, that's crazy. Yeah. 
That's crazy. All right. Do you want me to do a, a mind mind meld yes. with you? Okay. I'll do the first one. You do the second one without right. any gap in between. Okay. Dave, lead us in. You say operation. I'll say a word just okay, as a word. Great, great. All within probably two seconds. I'm blanking my mind right mm-hmm. now. Blanking. <laughs> it didn't actually happen real quickly. <laughs> operation. Dummy. Goon. <laughs> operation dummy goon. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I mean, my brain was going to say Dumbo Drop. I can't not think Dumbo Drop. And I have to. Bu- and dummy Goon is dummy great. Dummy Goon. So you're picturing a dummy, which is like an Australian pacifier, but filled with Goon, which is <laughs> yeah. Australian boxed wine. Yes. Wow. I saw dummies advertised online that you can put little bits of fruit in oh, and give that to your kid. Start weaning them on to fruit early. <laughs> yeah. Also, fructus, great for those teeth developing. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it really soak in there. Yeah. Can we rot their teeth before they've even got them? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruth. And I'm sorry. Ruth, oh, Operation what, Dummy Goon. <laughs> Where was she from? Is she from Australia? She's from um, Western Australia. Oh, well, she'll probably have had a Dummy Goon at some point. Surely. It's part of our upbringing. It's that name you export. They're the two big drinks there, a, a lot of people between the ages of 14 and 20 here will soak a dummy in Goon Put it in their butt for a real quick <laughs> alco buzz. Goes straight in. <laughs> now I don't want to tell my story. <laughs> What's your story? <laughs> What's your story? So I, I used to, when I was a baby, I would... <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> no, no. But you have to finish it now, otherwise um, my imagination will. <laughs> I would spit out the dummy a lot. So my mum used to put it in Shit honey. Shit out the dummy <laughs> Mum used to dip it in honey and then give it to oh, me. Oh, that'll, similar, similar that'll put you right up. <laughs> but I would just I would suck all the honey off and spit it anyway. <laughs> kind of cute. Not, that is cute. With my butt. And I did it with my butt. And your teeth survived it. Yep. You got good teeth. Yeah, well, I had braces. <laughs> Cost my parents a lot of money, oh, these teeth. Great. But I didn't have to pay for it, so I don't care. Beautiful. Yeah. If they're listening, which they always are. Sucked in. <laughs> that thing about putting alcohol in the butt, that is something that yeah. young people did do, soaking something and putting up their butt. It's so true. Just drink it. Alcohol, there's, <laughs> there's such an obvious way to consume liquid. Did people, did people do that at your school? No, no. This was, I think, this was one of those ones that got told in the news by people who were the wowsers. Yeah, right. The kids today, they're putting alcohol in the butt. They've lost control. <laughs> 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 they're pouring it right into their butts. <laughs> But apparently that, apparently that was a thing. Some people, but it does feel like you can drink, if you don't like the taste of it that much. But apparently, because there's a lot of um, blood vessels in your butt, so things. I don't want to talk in, about shelving butt alcohol anymore. is such a funny idea. Dave, do you have people to thank? I'd like to thank. Drink in your now. butt responsibly. It's <laughs> great advice. I would like to thank from uh, Madison, West Virginia. Oh, Mountain Mama. I would like to thank Tyler Thompson. Oh, Tyler Thompson. Tyler Thompson. Also on the list of great names. Tyler, I've been a patron for a long time now. We appreciate your Thanks so much support, for your patience. Tyler. And um, all right, we're going. Do a mind meld again? All right, Matt, you say operation, I'll say the word, then Jess can bring Why it Why do I have to go second? <laughs> it's, right. It is the toughest position. I'm so right. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, here we go. Tyler, Tyler Thompson, let's talk. Ready? Yeah. Tyler Thompson, who is in charge of Operation Hook. Leopard. That's oh, good. That's good. Hook leopard. Hook leopard. Yes. Yes. Don't pander to me. No, Shut up. Hook leopard. That sounds awesome. Sounds like a that's band. A, a leopard with three legs yeah, and one, one hook. <laughs> wow. Hook leopard. Pretty cool. Uh, and the enemy will swallow it. 
Hook, line, and leopard. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Tyler. I would also like to Tyler thank... Thompson. Good really name. great Good name. Stuff. Finally, now from Manly, New South Wales. Ah, home of the Sea Eagles. One of the first teams to be eliminated Sorry from our all out battle, I think. <laughs> sea oh, Eagles. I get it. You just bring it with a chip with some Panadol and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to thank a man who needs and has no surname, uh, James. Oh, James. James from Manly. We all know James from Manly. I wonder if J- James, because there's a band called James who had a couple of big hits in the 90s. Do you think that's that James? Who sang Laid? I can only assume, yes. I think it is, yeah. I think it is. All right, now so I'm can you work say, Laid into the title? I'm going to say Operation. Yep. You guys are going to say. All right, say. well, I know the word I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> go on. So who's going first? Matt, you go with your word. Okay, oh. okay great. You blanking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. James from Manly, in charge of Operation. Laid. Chicken. <laughs> How did he come up with it? How does his mind work? The mind, it boggles. He's a master. <laughs> his mission. How do you get this chicken laid? <laughs> it's a new teen it's rom a, com. It's a, yeah, the forty-year-old virgin chicken. <laughs> Thank right, you so a, much. These chickens are real nerd. <laughs> Just no confidence in themselves. Yeah. That's all. Thank oh, you so much, all of those Change people. All that leaves us is uh, thanking a few people, uh, welcoming them, welcoming. Oh goodness, welcoming them into the Triptych Club. Uh, which is for people who've been a patron in the uh, $5 or above level who have made it for three years. Um, and to this point, we've had, you know, it's a pretty exclusive club, but welcoming into the club this week, may I introduce, <laughs> clearly just double-checking the dates. <laughs> I don't think we're actually, there is no one to be introduced. <laughs> just make up a name. There's no one to be entered in this week. I'd like to make welcome. Make one up, make one up. Oh, um, you say yeah. a name and I'll say a name. Well, um, there are. Do we need to bring anyone in? Because I mean, the exclusive of the club, Gary Schindler. Oh, okay, fantastic, a, a beautiful name. But Good I'm name. looking Thank here. Thank you, that Gary. There will be next week. There are three inductees ready to go. Oh, that is oh, exciting. Cool. We don't just put people in willy nilly. Apart from. Gary Schindler. <laughs> and Willy Nilly. <laughs> Willy Nilly. <laughs> Obviously, Willy's been here. Willy Nilly. That is, oh man, we should wrap up because that is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, can we go out on that laugh? <laughs> Throw to a song. And Willy, oh, very, very funny. In the edit, can we go out on it? Just play, play the music. I never make you laugh. <laughs> you always make this me laugh. This is hugely exciting. <laughs> Both of you make me laugh more than probably anyone I know. What about the time in the UK when I just appeared at the door in a towel? <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, it, and it shocked me. I was I was shook. I was yeah. trying to write a report. Suddenly, you there, I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah. Um, I didn't, hiccups. I didn't say this at the start of the episode. This is also our final one for 2019. Oh, goodbye, 2019. You've been good oh, to us. Yeah. Next week we'll be we're coming out on New Year's Day. Oh my goodness. It was. It was. I know. Some people say not a great year, but to them I say whatever. It was. Good for podcasting. I reckon for us is our best year yet. It was huge. We did shows in Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney, Thailand, and all over the UK. And, and Ireland. Dublin. And Ireland. And Scotland. Yes, That's place. massive. The most live shows we've ever done, the biggest crowds we've ever played to. Thank you so much. More people are listening to the show than ever. People support us on Patreon. So for us, it's been, well, we're just loving it. Thank you yeah. so much. We'll yeah. put out the bonus episodes. So we did 52 pods. 
Then we did 24 Patreon episodes. Plus, you did, did you miss a week for Primates? Did you do 52 no, of those as yeah, well by the end of the year? Yeah. I would have done... I missed one for Book Chats at 23. So, wow. oh, man. Listen, now's a new podcast we launched on the network, which has done a dozen or so episodes. Insane. It's yeah. been a big year for us. Huge yeah. year. So I just want to say thank you so much for the people that have listened. And people who have had a tough year, the beautiful thing is it's about to end 2020. i got a good feeling yes, about it. Sounds it sounds great. Fresh. It sounds really great. does feel like it's going to be a good year. Yeah. We hope so. We hope you have a, a, a nice end of this year. Sorry to speak for you guys. I hope I assume you think the same. And hopefully you have a beautiful start to next year and we can't wait to see you then. Follow us on all the normal ways at Do Go On Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Gmail if you want to get in contact in a longer way. <laughs> uh, we got T-shirts and stuff online, which mm-hmm. the shop's having a little break until the new year. But if you, if you, you can still buy it. It just won't be sent out till mm-hmm. early Jan. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. I'd love to say thank you, Jess and David. Thank you, Matt. It's been thank a real you, fun Matt. year thank hanging you, out Jess. with you guys. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Stop what, it. What a great team we have here. I feel very lucky to get to do yeah, this honestly, podcast with you too. It's hard to be sincere, but thank you guys so much. It's, it's a real privilege. <laughs> I could probably say this off air, to be honest. And but he, I won't. He won't. <laughs> he won't. <laughs> he will not. He doesn't want to talk to us not. unless the microphone is on. <laughs> but we're very good friends. Yes. Thanks again for another fantastic year. We will not be missing an episode. We'll be back the first day of 2020. Feeling good. Oh, yeah. But until then, I'll say thank you and goodbye. Later. Bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want, it's up to you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.